Well, today does mark our fourth Sunday of Lent and the uh, fourth first century church that we'll consider from the book of Revelation. To this, to this point, we've associated various practices with each of the churches. We started with Ephesus and suggested meditation. Smyrna, we talked about simplicity. And then last week with the church at Pergamum, we discussed uh, the, uh, the practice of study. We move to the city of uh, Thyatira this morning, and we'll jump right in. Revelation 2, verses 18 through 29. And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, the words of the Son of God, who has eyes like a, flame, like a flame of fire, and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your works, your love, and faith, and service, patient endurance, and that your latter works exceed the first. But I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, I will throw her onto a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her I will throw into great tribulation, unless they repent of her works. And I will strike her children dead, and all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart, and I will give to each of you according to your works. But to the rest of you in Thyatira, who do not hold the teachings, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan, to you I say, I do not lay on you any other burden. Only hold fast what you have until I come. The one who conquers, who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron, as when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my Father, and I will give him the morning star." He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. <clears throat> so what do we know about this city and the church uh, that was gathered there? It was the smallest and least significant of these seven cities in Revelation. However, or maybe because of that, it's the one that we know the least about historically. Interestingly, it received, and you may have noted that, boy, this feels a little longer than some of the other ones that we've read in terms of the number of verses. Thyatira received the longest address from the Lord Jesus in Revelation. During the first century, some of the greatest roads of the world traversed the long valley that included this little city. Beyond that, by the first century, for nearly 300 years, that city had existed as a significant military center. You can maybe kind of note in that map its nearness to Pergamum, the city we spoke about last week, much larger than this one. You may remember as well that Pergamum was the capital of Asia. So if Thyatira fell... The route to Pergamum was wide open from an invader coming from the east to the west. 
As such, Thyatira was something of a natural fortress, a speed bump along the way for armies trying to get to the city of Pergamum. So its primary function was to fight something of a delay that would allow the city of Pergamum to kind of get its forces more together as an army made its way uh, to the west. And with that in mind, it was relatively frequent for Thyatira to fight, be captured, be destroyed, and then eventually be rebuilt. There was kind of that cycle that this city existed within for generations. While it didn't hold the same religious significance as some of the others that we've talked about, you remember the the temple in in Ephesus, as well as the the various temples within uh, Smyrna, it was not exactly uh, that uh, sort of an emphasis in that city, but it, it did hold one kind of major distinction, and that was that it was a significant commercial center, especially especially important there was the wool trade and the dyeing industry. Do you remember, this is, this is maybe, maybe in the, the recesses of your mind, within Acts, I think it is within Philip, when he's in Philippi, Paul runs across a lady named Lydia. I think she's mentioned in Philippians as well. It's mentioned her connection to dyeing, D-Y-E-I-N-G, and fine linens. She was from this city originally. The city, uh, part of what made it so successful was that it organized various uh, uh, merchants of these goods within trade guilds. Think unions, almost, not quite. But that was kind of the idea, that, that they were able to organize and, and, and work together and, and, and make sure that, that each one was given a, a fair opportunity to sell their goods. And, and you can imagine how much better that worked than all working as individuals. Especially for a city of its size, Thyatira, the trade guild was impressive. You may remember that even as we read that passage from Revelation quickly, there's reference to that woman Jezebel. Jesus was not happy with her. Remember Revelation from last summer? Probably the lady there was not named Jezebel. Remember the Old Testament? Elijah's ministry among the kingdom of Judah? Israel, one of the two. I didn't look that one up. But Jezebel and Ahab, this evil queen, so she represents by her name, the idea was that the people who read this would know, oh, yeah, I know who you're talking about. You're talking about Bonnie. You're not talking about Jezebel. This is just what we're, sorry to anyone named Bonnie. No, no besmirchment on people named Bonnie. But whatever her name was, they would all know who he was talking about. The best Scholars and the theory that best fits the facts regarding who this figure, whose name we probably don't really know, and we're, we're kind of piecing a lot together, but, but, but as I read and, and studied who this woman might have been, I think the, what makes the most sense, she's known as a prophetess, she's part of the church. Okay, this is not some outsider who's trying to infiltrate, she's part of the community. It seems likely that her primary 
uh, her, her primary uh, deceit was in trying to convince the men and women of the church in Thyatira to join and fully participate in the trade guild. Well, pastor, what's the big deal? Here's the deal. Here's the issue. In joining the trade guilds, their social activities would also be closely connected to other members of the guild. Revelation makes brief mention of what some of that would include. There was there was a, a, a great emphasis of pagan worship even among the folks as, that were part of the guild. You can imagine, hey, we need to have success as, as, as a group of workers. How can we do it? Well, let's ask the, the pagan gods to bless us. Let's engage in, in, in activities that we think will please the pagan gods or, or somehow give us favor. And so if, if the folks in Thyatira would join the guild and fully participate, they would have a pretty good shot at good commercial success. Apart from it, they were almost certain to be unsuccessful. So this woman called Jezebel was arguing the Christians should, could compromise for the purpose of financial gain, financial success. Not that there's anything wrong with financial success. It, the question, though, would be, should it come at the point of losing your main priority? And that is devotion to the Lord Jesus. Well, what better, what better discipline, what better practice for these folk than that of fasting? When we fast, we are intentionally recognizing or remembering our priorities. We're expressing that for a time, nothing, not even food, rivals the Lord Jesus as our highest priority. Fasting might be the classic discipline that is most feared, that seems the most drastic, and maybe even is the most misunderstood. It is a practice that Jesus both taught and engaged in. In Matthew 6, Sermon on the Mount, he says, When you fast, it's not something that's often preached or written about. I don't know that I've ever mentioned it from the pulpit. Obviously, and I want to be very clear here, obviously there are some people who should not fast from food uh, for very specific medical reasons. And while food is typically the subject of a fast, and will be kind of what I focus on this morning, there are other ways to practice that discipline beyond food. Maybe it's a certain food. Maybe it's some other element of your life that you're deciding that for a period of time, for a specific purpose, I will not engage in. I will not partake in, whatever that may be. The key, the key to a fast, though, is purpose. The key to a fast that's going to result in spiritual results is having a clear purpose. Apart from an established purpose, fasting is really just not eating, right? It can become something of a self-centered experience, more about willpower and endurance than being transformed into the image of the Lord. 
Here's the idea. Here's kind of the, the blueprint. As you fast, you may get to the point where you have kind of a dull ache and your stomach begins to, to growl a little bit. You will think at that point, oh, I'm hungry. And usually, most of the time, what that means is you go to the, your kitchen or your pantry and you pull out something to eat to address the hunger that you are experiencing. Instead, the fast and those experiences, those feelings of hunger, serve as a trigger, a reminder. Oh yeah, I am attempting to accomplish blank. Fasting for a specific purpose. We want to avoid fasting just to prove we love God, right? That's not the idea behind you being hungry doesn't make God love you anymore. The idea is to be prompted by your hunger to a mindfulness of a specific and biblical purpose. Let me just give you a rundown of some of the reasons, some of the purposes that can exist behind a fast. Could be to strengthen your prayer life. That as you sense this need to eat, you will turn to prayer. Could be to seek God's guidance. Let's say there's a specific issue that you are dealing with and you are seeking the Lord, be it to, within your family, within your own life, for the church, whatever the case may be, for country, and you are setting aside food or whatever it is that you are fasting from, and as, as the awareness of uh, hunger or, again, whatever it is, comes to mind, you go to the Lord in prayer, asking God, please direct me. I, I don't want to be distracted by anything. I don't want to be distracted by my, my meal preparation, my time eating, my time cleaning up. I want to spend that time seeking you. There are times people have fasted as an expression of grief. Maybe not grief over loss of a, of a loved one. In fact, that can be kind of counterproductive, you know, to, to not take care of yourself in, in that way. But grief over decisions they have made. As, as, as a partner with repentance, to fast, to return to God through repentance. This is that kind of that, that hand in hand, right? This idea that you are turning around, going the other direction, committing yourself to walk in a way that you have not to that point, or maybe you have wandered. To express humility, express concern for the work of God, minister to the needs of, of others, overcome temptation, dedicate yourself to God, express love and worship to God. The list can really go on and on. This, this, is, this is a practice that I, I, in terms of food, this is probably one that I am least familiar with. Probably one that I could grow in to some degree. There are many uh, options for how a fast could look. I can remember a class that I had in seminary where we were studying spiritual practices and spiritual formation. And at the, at the week that we were considering fasting, I decided that I would 
fast from Monday afternoon until Tuesday afternoon. 24 hours, probably the longest I've ever fasted. And as we, as it so happened that we had chapel on Tuesday mornings in seminary, and I went to chapel and we had communion that day. And so as I broke my fast, the first thing that I'd eaten for 24 hours were the elements that morning of communion. That has been 14 years ago. I still remember, I still remember taking that piece of bread. Fasting, fasting again, is an intentional prioritization. It's not the fasting that's the point. It's remembering that we live for things beyond food, that we live to honor the Lord. The church in Thyatira needed to reflect on that which was their top priority. Their society was pushing them to compromise more and more and more. Sounds eerily similar to our context, doesn't it? Maybe fasting is a practice that God is calling us to take up for ourselves.